0: Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast for our look at the beautiful game, from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and it's fair to say it's been a pretty crazy week. So joining me to make sense of it all is the co-host of the award-winning Football in Berkshire podcast, Abby Ticehurst, and making his debut on the pod, Journalist for the Eye and plenty of other places, the brilliant Adam Millington, who I had the pleasure of sharing a trip to McDonald's with in Middlesbrough during the press of the Arnold Clark Cup. Welcome, both of you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back. Not
1: at all. Not
2: at all. Good to make my first appearance.
0: Yeah. With slightly less chicken McNuggets this time. The biggest story of this week affects Chelsea. Abramovich's accounts have been sanctioned by the UK government due to his closeness with the Kremlin and he no longer owns the club and we're going to talk about that shortly on the field midweek Chelsea had a comprehensive 4-1 away win at West Ham they were 3-1 up before halftime with Penilla Harder and Neve Charles putting them in control Dagny Bria Stottir pulled a goal back in the second half before Sam Kerr made it 4-1 Emma Hayes said it was really nice just to think about football for 90 minutes as this all had been announced shortly before they went onto the pitch. There's a lot of uncertainty for Chelsea's position, amongst other things, they can't buy players or sell or renew their contracts and they can't sell tickets for their games. So only ones that are valid have been pre-bought before the 10th of March or people who own season tickets can now attend. The club also has until the 31st of May to be sold. Abby, what do you think about this whole situation? It's a bit worrying for the women's team as well, because when things like this happen, we worry in the game that the women's team are going to be the ones that are first cut. Abramovich was obviously very behind Emma Hayes's project in the Chelsea women's. What do you think the implications are going to have for them?
1: Yeah it's a, it's a tricky one isn't it um so many people say you shouldn't mix politics and football and yet here we are and i think actually it's it's inevitable really politics and football do mix even if people deny the fact that is a thing um i think as well if you look at a lot of the reporting that's happened this week as well it's it's a lot a lot of talk about the men's team and the women's team and the academy seem to get forgotten about as well um It's one of those ones where you're not entirely sure what to say sometimes if you're not as well versed as you probably should be. I guess we had a little bit of a chin wag and a chat about it in the the group chat at the beginning of the week, didn't we? But I think things Mm. move so quickly in terms of politics and even football that things have changed so much. And obviously now there's, um, I think the bank account's been frozen, hasn't it? So it's a, a wonder... How that's going to affect the women's team, really? Yeah, it's a it's a tricky situation, definitely. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones where you don't want to say too much if you're not not well versed on it.
2: If that makes any sense,
0: completely. Adam, what do you think?
2: Um, well, I think first of all, it's just worth saying that as much as it, you know, it's bad for the fans, for the club in general. Abramovich really had to be sanctioned for everything mm-hmm. that happened. It there was no. Chance that you could have an oligarch with the amount of money he had and the links so extensively to the Kremlin uh, that I'm still in charge of a club. I'm, I'm trying to say things here that are, uh, are legally safe, but uh, yeah, cool. yeah, I think for the women's team it is a dangerous one because Abramovich has been really the only sort of oligarch owner, if you like, who is very supportive of women's football. You can also say in this sort of like new generation of football owners, if you like the ones at Man City are in a similar guise for so the amount of money they have, and actually decide to spend on the women's team. A new owner will come in eventually. I'm not sure completely when. I think you know the the figures are saying that it could take about a month for a sale, maybe even longer. There was something in the Telegraph recently, and I think there were New York Times bits on it. So it's frozen, so it can't go through at the moment. But then the government said they might let a sale go through. I'm not sure. But then on who buys the club, you have if you get someone who isn't a supporter as the women's team with the Bremovich, who knows what could happen? Because Chelsea have done very well. And know Hayes is an incredible manager, but they are also the English club who have spent the most money out of every team. And that makes you a very good team if you can afford to spend like the fees on Panilla Harder and Samker and them. That's what makes them above all the rest compared to the ones who can't spend as much like Arsenal. Or yeah. you don't spend as much.
0: That's that's completely understandable. And we can look at the WSL as a whole and think, I think it's United and I want to say Reading are and please jump jump in and say if I'm wrong, but I think they're the only two teams that aren't running at a deficit or weren't last season when the accounts came out for it. And so
2: Yeah, I think I think United are like a very I should know because I've just done all the accounts recently, where I got my spreadsheet up. I think United is something like 40 grand. But Chelsea are in the millions, City are comfortably in the millions. Both of them are in very big deficits and need to be bankrolled. Whereas I think Everton as well Mm. were in the most recent ones you could see making a very slight profit. But with the amount they spent, I I don't think that'll be the case.
0: This season completely. And I think even aside from... The, the situation what we can what we can't say obviously legally because this is still an ongoing situation it kind of makes us reflect on what football ownership has kind of turned into and the different models that um clubs across across Europe and across the world decide to take obviously there's the 50 plus one ownership rules I think in Germany and whether it would be something that if 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 Chelsea was a fan-owned club this wouldn't have happened if Chelsea was a fan-owned club, we could argue many things that if they they wouldn't have had the investment and so they wouldn't be as big as they were, but if they were a fan-owned club, they wouldn't be in the situation that they are in now. And the fact that when you have 100% ownership of football clubs, you can have really dire situations, which does ultimately affect negatively on the fans and also just everyone who is involved in the club, not just the players, but think of the revenue that a football club generates and all of the livelihoods that the... Um, that this massive business institutions uphold and the ability for them to fall just overnight because of sanctions which have been put onto the owner of the club and how that's affected affected them. Anyway, we're going to talk more about football now um, after we've spoken about that, but it was definitely something to mention and we should have mentioned at the start of this pod. Anyway, on Saturday, the early fixture at 11.30, thank you very much Sky Sports, a really entertaining game was at the Magistri Stadium between Reading and Manchester United. All of the goals came in the first half. Alessia Russo had already hit the bar before Leah Galton put them in front. A mistake at the back for United allowed Canadian international Deanna Rose to equalise, but Galton restored the lead, rounding Grace Maloney to slot it into the empty net. Gemma Evans hit the bar for Reading before United added a third. It was a bit of a strange moment as Ona Badier cut inside and her shot hit the underside of the bar it looked well over the line i'm thinking the 4-2 england versus germany in the 2010 world cup level over the line you know that goal if you know it um and it could have been a bit of a controversial moment but fortunately the red for the reds the ball fell to russo and she rebounded it in and curled in a third It's united's fourth win in seven games Reading, meanwhile, stay in sixth, having now lost three of their past four league matches. Now, Abby, Mark Skinner says he wants his side to play beautiful football, but sometimes you've just got to go back to the basics. It's starting to stand them in good stead, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um I feel I feel like they had a bit of a strange start to the season. They've been a bit up and down, but they seem to have sort of hit the ground running since January, I think, and they're just they've found some really good form and they're looking very competitive, I think, and you can see by their in and around that Champions League spot, can't you? So, yeah, as mm-hmm. you say, sometimes you just got to go back to the basics and it worked against Reading on Saturday as much as I hated it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, after Reading's recent good run of form and the possible dreaming of the Champions League, it's gone a bit flat for Reading, hasn't it, Abby? I know you are a Reading fan, so I'm sorry that I'm putting you on the spot about this, but you're gonna know the team better than anyone. Um
1: Yeah, but I will say though, having spoken to Kelly Chambers a couple of times myself, that Champions League is not not in the I mean, obviously it would be the dream to be in Europe. Absolutely. Reading in European football would be mad but I think they're being realistic about it. Mm. And um, it would be amazing to get to third third sport and be in Champions League, but that's not in Reading's ambitions right now. I think they're focusing on other things right now. So um, I don't think it's necessarily gone flat, but um, I don't think... So Kelly herself as well said that, like the international break, it can either be a a good thing or a bad thing, can't it, for teams a lot of the time. And I Mm. think it was maybe in hindsight a bad thing because they're on such good form and then they've come back from international break and it's just not quite gelling again I'm not really sure what's going on there but um <clears throat> I think you have to think about the fact as well that Reading of well they've just played United haven't they and then they've got a couple of tough tough games coming up as well so I think I don't think it's going to be a pretty end to the season and um I mean, obviously you can win and win and win, can't you? And then it has to come to an end at some point. So you have to be realistic about that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They just need a little bit of a regroup, I think, and then find that winning form that they had before before the international break, maybe.
0: Has there been anyone particularly standout in the uh, Reading side for you, Adam? Or is it just Kelly Chambers? I love to say a Kelly Chambers masterclass here on this pod because I do love her as a manager. Who's been the standout for you?
2: Uh, I'm not really sure of standout players per se. I haven't seen that much of Reading, but whatever I have, Kelly Chambers is just such a good, underrated manager. There are quite a lot of them in in the league. I think you always get your top three managers who you get you get lauded about, and even people include like Matt Skinner and, and Hope Powell in that to an extent. But I think Kelly Chambers does a very good job every year without the biggest budget, and can take it to like I remember. I get my ears mixed up when everything was COVID, but it was like the the last time they played Manchester City near the end of the season. It was the same day United had played at Old Trafford and they played Man City off the park completely. They, ju- they just lost to a, a moment of Chloe Kelly magic. And whenever I see Reading, they're always a team who they could go either way. They could mess it up, but they can just take it to the big teams because Kelly Chambers is a really good manager and just knows how to get, The simple things right out of the team, no overcomplicated of things, but I think that's the right way to go. Some of the the top, the quote-unquote top managers do overcomplicate things and it messes up completely. Kelly Chambers is just so good.
0: Mm. Over in Liverpool, there was another entertaining game on Saturday at Walton Hall Park as Everton gained a vital victory, winning 3-2 against Leicester. Gemma Purfield opened the scoring early, drilling the ball hard and low into the net before Everton's Tony Duggan capitalised on an error at the back to equalise. Another mistake meant Anna Anvergaard could slot it home for the Toffees, but Leicester fought back with Santiani equalising on the stroke of half-time. Anvergaard got her second as she flicked it in from an offside position, but as the ball came off a couple of Leicester players on the way through, the goal stood. Adam, this is a massive win for Everton with all that's gone on in the season. What are your thoughts about their form?
2: Yeah, I think Everton's hierarchy will not be happy with the with the way that things have gone this season. They spent so much in the summer to get an awful an awful performance. It hasn't been managed well. I think second Willie Kirk was the wrong decision. And then probably getting rid of Jean-Luc Besson was, even though he... He wasn't a good tactician or anything like that. He was just, you lose the momentum in the players when they get used to someone and then they go. So I think Everton have been so underwhelming. They're one who, who like Chelsea, you never know what could happen because a lot of the women's team's backing has come from uh, the Usmanov family and, and through Megafon and all of the, those sponsorships, which are, of course, gone. Uh, because of the sanctions and, and the family being sanctioned and there were even you know, uh, links between between them and Abramovich. And for Everton, it has been a bad season and they need to turn that form around somehow. But I think going into the start of the season, people were saying, maybe they'll clinch third. And if you look at it now, it's awful. Like I watched them at Huddersfield. I, I was covering that game and weren't significantly better than Huddersfield in the FA Cup. They have been so awful. Um, they, they do have the two games in hand, which, you know, if they win them, it could it could catapult them up. But even like uh, when I saw Everton West Ham earlier in the season, they were really, really poor there. And I'm just not sure what's going on and, and how they could improve. Because on paper, it's an incredibly strong squad. But they don't manage to get anything out of them and are often outclassed by the team. So it's important for them to maybe get something they can kick on with.
0: No, completely, and I will hold my hand up to say that I was one of the first people to be like, "They're going to get top three They with the investment and the money that was bought in, and I was thinking, you know what, they're going to be tricky fixtures when they play City and when they play United, when they play Tottenham, there'll be the ones, there'll be another one in the mix, and it just hasn't happened, and it's really interesting as you said about the managers and shifting of the managers, how investment and proper investment can work sometimes, but it does happen over time. Talking about positive investment in the women's side, Leicester have shown improvement under Lydia Bedford, but a couple of back-to-back defeats now for them. They're still eight points ahead of Birmingham who are at the bottom. I mean, should they be worrying or not yet? Should they be kind to themselves because it's their first season in the WSL? What do you think? It will be going on in Leicester's camp.
1: Yeah, I think as you say, it's their first season at the WSL, so definitely a little bit of an element of being kind to themselves. But actually, I think they've had a really, they've had some some surprise results, haven't they? So I don't think it's time to kind of count them out just yet. To be honest, I I don't think it's time to worry just yet. I think there's just enough games left, possibly. That you never know, and because, like, I think we've met it's been said multiple times on this podcast, and probably millions of other women's podcasts, about how how you can't you often can't predict the WSL. There's some mad results happen, don't they? So, mm. um, yeah, I, I think, <clears throat> yeah, don't count them out just yet. I don't think they, they should be worrying right now. Um, I don't think they should be sitting back and relaxing, though, equally. Um, bring it to every game, but um, yeah, I think. it's it's just going so wrong for Birmingham, unfortunately, that I think Leicester will probably be safe.
0: Completely. Rome wasn't built in a day, and when that investment comes in and you come up into the WSL, it might not happen automatically, but it is really positive seeing them kind of getting their footing into the league. But elsewhere, the earlier kickoff on Sunday saw Manchester City travel to the Hive to take on Spurs. Admittedly, not much to shout about in the first half, but once again, Gareth Taylor's team pepped up the Manchester City side and they upped the tempo with Becky Spencer having a good game in goal for the home side. They eventually got the breakthrough when Haley Razzo's shot was pushed out by Spencer to Caroline Weir and she made no mistake by hitting it straight into the back of the net. I would like to know what Gareth Taylor says at halftime because I actually interviewed him the other week and he was very adamant that he's not one for big old speeches, but clearly things must be working in that City camp gary taylor felt that they were too sideways in that first half and he got them to travel more down channels and it seemed to have worked what do you think about his halftime talks do you think he's saying something inspiring or do you think maybe city just know how to turn it on abby
1: yeah, I think they probably just know how to turn it on. I um watched their Conti Cup game against Chelsea and I mean obviously Chelsea and Man City, they're both big squads, aren't they? They're big names. And mm. they wouldn't have made it to a final if they didn't have the the power for it. Um but yeah, I think they they were fairly evenly matched in the first half, and then they just like it was just time for City to shine. So I think that's probably I don't, maybe they just know that they've they've got that in themselves that they can actually be a little bit relaxed in the first forty five maybe and then then turn up the heat. I I think it's a substitution thing as well. Just the, the bench always looks very strange to me. There's some really good people on the bench, isn't there? Always Caroline Weir normally is on the bench as well, and yeah, she just she's such a game changer. But maybe that's why it works because they do bring on Weir and she is the game changer. So yeah, um, I too would be very interested to know what he says at halftime. <laughs> City
0: have had some issues all season around goalkeepers and goalkeeping injuries, uh, having to occasionally dip into their academy for, for matches in the WSL. Adam, there'll be some concern for City because Ellie Roebuck actually had to be substituted in this game for a possible concussion. Obviously, if she was concussed, that's completely the right decision to do. But her being out for so long really seemed to affect them during the start of the season. Do you think that she's really crucial to their playing or do you think if she's out for a few games now it won't matter as much because they have other players back in defence?
2: No, I I think the biggest problem for City this season was the goalkeeper. They they could deal without Steph Arthur and and they've shown that they have but without Ellie Robo at the start of the season the amount of moments with uh, Kerry Kerry Taib mainly where there were things that just showed that it's not a top, top goalkeeper when you're a third choice. You know you you don't have that much sharpness of playing every match for three, four years. And it was so evident against teams, little bits of movement and those sorts of things. It just allowed other teams to score against them. Like when they played Spurs earlier in the season, there were, there were some problems there, apart from the the, the handball controversy, for one. Mm-hmm. I think if they don't have Roebuck midweek, that could be a problem for them. Um, I know Karen Bardsley is on her way back when she will be back. I'm not completely sure. That's one where Gareth Taylor is never the biggest fan of giving frames on things anyway. If she's back, that would be good. But if not, it be probably be a case of either going for Taib or going to the academy again. And now they've got into that rhythm of playing with up. I don't think they're going to be able to revert to that easily. And if you don't, if you're not able to lead from the back, like Roebuck does, and and have that sort of reliance for the little scary moments in defence, then it's really worrying for Man City. I I hope it's just a a small thing for the sake of their season, because if it is, you know, if it's just a a couple of days or it's just a precautionary thing and she isn't concussed, then it'll be fine. If not, then who knows?
0: It was really evident in the Conti Cup fixture that she isn't back to full health yet. They weren't allowing her in defence to take any of the goal kicks. She took a couple, but it was clear from the way I was sat right behind the City goal. And it was really clear how they were communicating with uh, Alex Greenwood that she'd been instructed not to take any goal kicks. Also, the first goal that Sam Kerr scored in the Conte Cup final to was off a a direct error. And it is really interesting to see that real chink in City's armour is when she's not there and when Ellie Roebuck isn't up to full fitness and it shows that no side is completely unstoppable. It'll be really interesting to see how the next few fixtures play out. But moving over to Spurs a little bit, obviously a frustrating day for them as they fight for their place in the Champions League. We've spoken about the run of fixtures that they still have left. Is it realistic to say it's probably a bit too big of a task now with both the fact that City and United are in form? Adam, what do you think?
2: Yeah. Um... I think city are probably going to be the bigger ones then they've got a bigger gap to close, but I think they can be consistent and do well, even though they, you know they've got the one game in hand, but they're still you know quite far behind uh, Spurs and and even United. but then United are always one of those teams where they can do very well but also just have the ability to completely mess up the game so having the likes of Brighton even West Ham. Everton, they could prove to be very big stumbling blocks for United mm. for some reason when they go up against teams who aren't maybe you know, as technical as them or who know how to play like how Powell does for them. They can just fall to pieces. So I think United are a bit of a weird one when it comes to challenging for top four. It's always been if they could be consistent, they're a very good team, but they're very rarely consistent. Uh, City, I think, are consistent now. And will probably be the ones who might just catch them again. You know, they have the game in hand on Spurs, they're the two points behind. They'll probably overtake them. And I'd say City probably favourites for third, but who knows?
0: Talking about consistency, potentially more in the negative way than the positive, it was a scrappy one at the St Andrews Stadium as West Ham clinched a 1 0 win against Birmingham. Both teams seemed incessant with their pursuit of goal, but there were many mistakes and unforced errors by both sides, meaning that they both struggled to put the ball in the back of the net. Gold medal winning Adriana Leon's goal from a Svitkova corner in the 41st minute was the only thing that separated the two teams. And Lisa Evans also missed a sitter in the dying minutes of the game, meaning the game ended 1-0 to West Ham. Wasn't pretty from either teams, I'm going to be completely honest. Birmingham couldn't pick up any uh, points from this fixture either. They've got five games left in the WSL season. We've spoken on and on again. Are they going to get relegated? Will they be able to fix it? But, Abby, realistically, they've got five games left. How many points do you
1: think they're going to pick up? Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, of those five games, one of them's City and one of them's Chelsea. So I think you could probably rule those two out for points. Um, They've got Villa and Everton as well, I think. So maybe they (laughs) might... I'm going to go, let's go four. (laughs) We'll come back uh, to it at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. I think Villar, as we have said, Villar are having a bit of a strange season themselves. So um, I think that could go either way, that game. And again, Everton as well. They're just a little bit up and down at the moment too. So I think there's possibly some points in it there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they've also got Brighton as well. And um, I think Brighton are always out to surprise. So... um, and they're at home. So, yeah, I'm going to go four points maybe. And I think, yeah, sadly, I don't think there's much else they can do to avoid relegation, if I'm honest.
0: Mm. But over to West Ham, they really struggled with unforced errors, actually, in this fixture. They've got drive, but for some of the players, it just it not there yet. Or it didn't seem to be in this fixture, at least. Adam, if you were Ollie Harder, what would you be saying to your team right now?
2: That's a really difficult one. West Ham are always a really difficult team. The The ones who have the ability to play really well, but also play really badly against some of the bottom teams. But I think in terms of consistency, they're normally quite good. I think it's just a case of like getting up that team morale. Maybe, you know, I feel like they've got some players out injured, but don't quote me on that. I think West Ham will do all right. They'll be a comfortably mid-table team by the end of the season. Uh it is just a difficult one for what's going to happen with West Ham. It, like if you look at the future, I can't see them, you know, progressing up. I can't see West Ham going down anytime soon with how they are now and, and seem quite stable. I think they will be, you know, one of those perpetually mid-table teams where they, they're going to have those odd games against the lower half teams where they don't do that well. But overall, like, it evens out across the twenty-two games and they do all right.
0: Mm, yeah, completely. But there was drama down at Kings Meadow as Sam Kerr's injury time winner against Aston Villa put Chelsea within two points of Arsenal with a game still in hand. There were 22 shots by Chelsea. Only one of them was converted into a goal as Villa keeper Hannah Hampton put on a valiant display to deny her world-class striking opponents of a multi-goal thriller. She's one to watch definitely for England in the future. Villa, though, remain in 10th, 11 points clear of Birmingham and the relegation zone. Sam Kerr's goal put her back at the top of the Golden Boot leaderboard and the whole team whipped round in celebration. And there are actually some quite funny images of Emma Hayes jumping around in joy circling the players' social media right now. So check out Erin Cuthbert's Twitter if you get the time. This goal was also Millie Bright's 150th FAWSL fixture. Now, Chelsea really do struggle to hit the back of the net sometimes. It happened against Reading too earlier on in the season. Apart from target practice,
1: Abby, what should they be doing behind the scenes? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because they just seem to do so well. And yet, as you say, sometimes they struggle to struggle to. Well, in fact, in the Reading game, they just struggled for anything because Deanne Rose scored that goal in the fourth minute, I think it was. Mm. And then... Yeah, Reading just had a little bit of a masterclass that day, and nothing, nothing went went past them. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know because it's not as if they haven't got the striking power there. They've got an insane. The thing is as well, they can rotate so consistently. So that's why, like, I just have the fear every time we play Chelsea as well because you look at the starting eleven and you see how fantastic they are, and then they start bringing people off the bench. You're like, oh, this isn't going to get any better. This isn't going to get any easier. Because they just have such striking power so often you'll see like Kirby um, Kerr and Harder on and then they'll sub one of them and then on comes um, Beth England so yeah I, I, I really don't know what else they could possibly do because they've everything's there everything's in position and in place for them to be scoring goals and scoring lots of goals so I don't yeah I'm not sure what else they need to be doing really. Talking
0: about strikers, though, the season isn't over yet, but Villa seem to be really struggling with a standout striker to rely on. Adam, what do you think that they should look for and maybe look to do in the transfer window to fix their woes?
2: It's been quite a while, hasn't it, where Villa haven't had that sort of potent threat in front of goal. And uh, have you mentioned Beth England there? Even someone like Beth England, if they're you know she's not getting the game time, for Chelsea but on loan at Villa she would get the game time uh, and like Jill Scott went out on loan to you know Villa and, and did at Everton last year got a well back in the England setup. I think they're the sort of players you should be going for the the players at your top three clubs who maybe aren't just getting into that that starting team because it's so good trying to get one of them on loan I think that could work they just need someone who can be semi-reliable for goals, that's all they need. They just haven't got any real sort of threat, and, and they really struggle. Like if they struggle in a game, you know that there is no chance Villa are going to score, and it's just can they get a nil-nil draw out of this? They, it's the one thing they should be looking at. But I think the likes of Beth England, are there even? You know, there are some players in the Championship, or we going over to America? Those sorts of players that they, they should be trying the hardest to get a proper striker in who will get goals.
0: Mm. Or someone, to be fair, we've, we've brought her up a couple of times in this podcast so far. Someone like Deanna Rose coming out of a yes. setup in in the US. Oh, she's my favourite. I saw her after the Olympics and I thought, oh, you're going to be wonderful. When Kelly Chambers picked her up for Reading, I thought, this is going to be brilliant. And she she is. She just is. She can pick out sometimes when it's being very tricky and just get on, get on the end of things, which is what's needed. Someone maybe young wanting a little bit more experience is something that they need because focusing on just trying to get um, – Alicia Lehman, to get balls in the back of the net sometimes don't, doesn't seem to be working for Villa. And that's not a slight on her. You can't just have one striker. We're having this issue, we had this issue with United at the start of the season. If you can't get balls in the back of the net, then you're not going to be able to win games. But anyway, in the final game of the weekend, Arsenal took on Brighton at the home of the Seagulls. Brighton had on their yellow and blue third kit. And I just want to mention the proceeds for the sale of that kit are currently going towards helping charitable efforts in the conflict in Ukraine. If you want to head over to their website and give it a buy. The fixture opened with a beautiful handball, which graced Williamson with a yellow in the sixth minute. At least they saw this one. Sorry, Chelsea. Um, Brighton, unfortunately, gave Arsenal too much respect and space, especially in the first half. The Gunners dominated possession and it wasn't long until Blackstenius put them ahead, despite some amazing saves from Megan Walsh who is the shot stopper for the Seagulls. Beth Mead slotted home a second in the 34th minute from a brilliant Mead assist. assist. Blackstenius headed home her second and Arsenal's third just before the break. In the second half, Brighton did come out a bit better and although the Arsenal played with intent to score, Brighton denied them a chance to hit the back of the net again. The game ended 3-0. Another notable mention is Brighton player and Lioness, Maya Leticia who, due to her feature in this fixture, is now the most capped teenager ever in the WSL, overtaking Jess Carter. Chelsea versus Arsenal. I'm not going to ask that question because we could talk about for hours about who we think are going to clinch the title. But more importantly, have Arsenal started to pick themselves out of that slump that they were having in January? Abby, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> um... I think a lot of that has been to do with the introduction of Blackstinius, though, and where, where Viv's dropped back a little bit, so everyone's like, oh my God, she's not scoring goals, but no, she's just insisti- assisting them insanely. I think she's top top of the table for assists now, so she's got like 30 assists or something, that's mad. Um, but yeah, I think they absolutely have pulled themselves out of that slump and there's not, not going to be much to stop them, I don't think, really. It's funny you say that. It's almost like that's the next
0: question I'm going to ask. (laughs) Adam, Viv seems to have settled back into this Arsenal side with her new role as a deeper 10. You couldn't write this stuff, could you? She had a (laughs) lovely assist for the Beth Mead goal. She really did. Is she here to stay or does her versatility make her more desirable for a team like PSG or Barcelona to come through and cherry pick
2: her out? I don't know. Is is the honest answer to whether she'll stay or not? I have no idea. I think... Part of me feels like I can't see her leaving Arsenal. Just Viv is such an Arsenal player. But she's so desirable being one of the best in the world that other clubs might want her. I was speaking to uh, the the fountain of Arsenal knowledge is Tim Stillman when they first did the, uh, the, the Black Stenny signed and, and Viv was playing in that deep role and he was sort of saying that, well, that's what Jonas will want to play. He, he did similar things over in, in Sweden and having the two together is now starting to work really well. And I think for Viv, when she was in that point where maybe wasn't getting the goals earlier in the season and wasn't her usual self, now having a role where she is doing really well, I think will probably make her want to stay a little bit more at Arsenal. And I think Jonas will really want to stay. And I'm not sure who coined the term Viv Steadius, which was all over Twitter, but um, I think those two will be a, a really interesting partnership going forward if she, if she signs a new contract.
0: Mm, and it is that big if Senius did say herself one of her main reasons for wanting to come and play at Arsenal is the, the possibility of being able to play with Viv Miedema so if she does leave if she fancies coming to United that pied us off just before I wouldn't mind is all I'm saying but Brighton did give Arsenal too much respect in that first half Abby, do you think that was their downfall or do you think this Arsenal side is just
1: unstoppable? I think it's probably a little bit of both, isn't it? <clears throat> like if you if you give uh, Arsenal any any space to do Arsenal things, then they're going to capitalise on it. So um, yeah, I think <clears throat> Brighton are having an all right season themselves as well. But yeah, just playing those top sides is it's probably been a little bit too much for them. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I said, a bit of both. I think a bit of both.
2: Exercise. It doesn't have to mean Lycra or a fancy gym membership. A regular brisk 10-minute walk is a great way to get more active. Picking up the pace and getting your heart pumping can make a real difference to your health. To see how much you're doing and how you can fit more into your day, download the free Active 10 app. Better health. Let's do this.
0: In the championship, the early kickoff saw a stalemate between Durham and Coventry, which was a well-earned point for Coventry, but still, unfortunately, probably isn't enough for them down at the bottom two goals and a 94th minute penalty save ensured Blackburn Rovers the three points against Sunderland goals from Jordan and Blanchard put the Rovers 2-0 up before Holly Manders clawed one back for the Black Cats unfortunately for Sunderland they could not convert a penalty awarded in the dying minutes of the game to clinch a point and the game ended 2-1 Liverpool, though, continued their winning ways with an 84th minute goal against Charleston Athletic. Jasmine Matthews put Liverpool ahead and now they sit seven points clear of Bristol in second at the top of the table with five games left to play. Not to be presumptuous, Adam, because I know anything can still happen. But how do you think Liverpool will fit into the WSL? Because if it's not this season, it feels like it's inevitable that they will be coming up soon.
2: I think Liverpool will come in and will start pushing for that 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 top end in, in the coming years. Uh, if you look at their... I know there's a lot of criticism for FSG, for for how things ended up with the women's team earlier uh, and things like the training facilities and things like that. And it's a shame they didn't give them the new stuff at Kirby. If you look at their wage bills, and <laughs> they were in the WSL, they were incredibly high. And they paid very well for players, they had a, a strong team. And I do think that the owners do want to invest in the women's team, but you know, there isn't you're not going to be investing a lot of money if you're not in the WSL already, because you know you don't need to invest a lot to to get out of the division. I think they will probably invest because Liverpool is such a global brand that if they're not competing with Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, that it really doesn't look good for them in, in 2022 when the men are are just over, you know, in a in a title challenge in, in the top division, and you know, winning everything in Europe. So I think they will invest, and, and I, I think Liverpool will do well in WSL and be there to stay for quite a while.
0: Mm. I'd also just like to say before that we move on that the goal scorer Jasmine Matthews has a really cute dog called Alfie, and he has his own Instagram at Alfie Moo Adventures. I recommend you go check it out. It made my evening this evening. <laughs> Two second half goals from Lucy Porter and Izzy Dalton gave Lewis a convincing win against sixth place Crystal Palace at the Dripping Pan. Lewis are now 25 points and have a game in hand against the Eagles, so they have a chance to leapfrog them after their next fixture. Bramwell Lane saw Sheffield United come from behind to beat the London City Lionesses 2-1. The Scottish 19-year-old Carly Girasoli put the Lionesses ahead at the 19th minute. But the Blades scrambled back and in the second half, with goals from Courtney Sweetman Kirk and Lucy Watson, came out on top. Keeper Fran Kitchen also helped keep out a penalty from the brilliantly named Atlanta Primus to help Sheffield United onto three points. And finally, in the championship, Bristol put three past a lackluster looking Watford. Bulls scored twice before Rose Kamita put one past the Bristol keeper, Fran Bentley. Abby Harrelson clinched a third for Bristol in the dying minutes of the game. Watford have picked up a single point since January. If Coventry hadn't received a point deduction due to their financial issues, it could be very, very tight at the bottom. In the National League, the big game midweek in the South saw Oxford United and Southampton cancel each other out in their pursuit of Ipswich Town. They could only draw 2-2. And it was an even better Sunday for Ipswich as they won 3-0 at Cardiff City and both Oxford United and Southampton slipped up. Oxford lost 1-0 at MK Dons, while Southampton could only draw 1-1 at home to Bridgewater United. Ipswich are now four points clear of Oxford United and 13 points clear of Southampton in third. But the Saints have five games in hand, so it's very much a case of watch this space. Hunslow finally scored their first goal of the season, but they were still unfortunately defeated 7 1 at the home of the Crawley Wasps. Talking of things that buzz, the London Bees must have run out of battery at the Hive as Portsmouth put four past them at home. Mel Episona must have had her Weetabix though, as she put three past Cangelium Town in an 8 0 thriller for Gillingham. Down south, in the southwest, Plymouth pulled themselves into 10th from a 2-1 win against Chichester and Selsley. In the north, though, Wolves remain three points clear after a 3-0 win at Loughborough Lightning. Derby County are on their coattails as they beat Huddersfield Town 3-0. Fylde are a further two points back in third as they won away 1-0 at Brighouse. Middlesbrough beat Sheffield 2-1, and Nottingham Forest make their first foray into the top four this season as they leapfrog Huddersfield Town after a 2-0 win over Stoke. The high-scoring, high-drama game of the week, though, was West Brom versus Hull at Sutton Coldfield Town Football Club. It saw six goals as the Albion beat the Tigers 4-2. Elsewhere in the domestic game, there has been a development in the rumoured increased prize money in the Women's FA Cup. Currently, the prize fund for the entire tournament is about £309,000, for comparison, the men's total prize money for the tournament is 15.9 million. And it's rumored to rise to well beyond 2.5 million pounds. There has still been no final word on how much the prize money will increase to. This is just word on the street. Adam, 2.5 mil. Is that a good enough start?
2: Uh yes and no. <laughs> I think the way it's funny mm. is that when you have FA execs on very high amounts of money and then teams are having to uh, pay their own way to be able to travel down to play fixtures in it 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 doesn't really sit right with me or, or with the current uh, amounts that you have, if you have Cray Valley paper mills making more for winning the FA Vars than Chelsea do for winning the Women's FA Cup that's also not right if you are basing it off sponsorships and viewerships it deserves more I think though, is a good start. There isn't an unlimited pot of money at the FA, even though they are very rich. Um, And they just need to see how it goes, because at the moment it doesn't have sort of massively increased sponsorships like the league has had with, you know, massive Barclays ones who've reinvested even more, who have the very big broadcasting deal. It's just vitality and the odd game here and there. So it'll take time. 2.5 million is better. But I'd like to see that be spread across the rounds more evenly than just having it so that the money makes its way to Chelsea or Man City or Arsenal every season and then your teams lower down the pyramid don't benefit at all and are still having to to, you know, crowdfund for coaches to go and play a fixture.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point actually, because obviously money feeds into money. And where there is increased investment, you're going to get the teams like Arsenal and City and Chelsea are, the, are going to be the ones that are going to be making it to the semifinals and finals. So they are going to be receiving that investment. But the wider spread is a really good point. Abby. what are your thoughts on this increased prize pot?
1: Yeah, similar to what Adam said, really. I think it's the thing for me is about the distribution. Absolutely. As, as Adam said as well obviously it's the magic of the cup isn't it so everybody wants to be involved but I imagine there's a few teams that probably think do you know what if we're gonna have to be out of pocket despite the fact we've won a game what why would we be interested in in getting involved in F cup and it's obviously it's a really important cup in terms of the growth of the women's game so we want more women's teams playing in it but if they're having to think about it whether or not they'll be able to afford the coach to get there yeah, there's obviously something needs to be done there. And yeah, like, as Adam said, I said, I, it's a yes. Like, yes, it's a good thing. And no it's, no, it's not a good thing. Like, I think obviously you have to look at who's investing and how much is vitality. I, I don't know if anybody knows the statistics, but like how much do the Emirates put in compared to how much vitality? Like, it's obviously... Um, relative isn't it so yeah be interested I'd be interested to know some of the stats on that but yeah I think it's a positive thing that there's more money but I would just like to know a bit more about the distribution absolutely yeah because I was like you say it goes round and round and the same teams end up with all the money at the end and yeah there's teams out of pocket and so yes there's it's a a good step but there's definitely more to come I think
0: Mm. in the Scottish Women's Premier League it's tight at the top Current champions Glasgow City are only one point clear of Rangers at the top of the table. Glasgow beat Celtic thanks to goals from the podcast favourite Priscilla Chinchilla and Claire Shine. Rangers won 4-0 away at Hamilton Academicals to stay one point behind and keep up the pressure. Elsewhere, in sunnier climate, the run to the A-League Grand Final, there were some dramatic scenes. The semi-final between Sydney FC and Melbourne City ended 4-2 after extra time. Melbourne City were two up by the 58th minute, but Sydney clawed one back in the 73rd minute. And after Melbourne's Tyler J. Valdric was sent off in the dying minutes of the game, Sydney equalised through a goal whipped in through Maria Jose Rojas to make it 2-2. The game went to extra time and Melbourne could not come back from being a player down. Sydney put two more past Melbourne and it all went bad to worse as Melbourne had another player sent off, sealing their fate. In the other semi-final, despite a brace from Nanko Sasaki, goals from Leah Privialti and Melina Ayers gave Melbourne victory the win against Adelaide United, which ended 2-1 to the team from Victoria. The final will be played on the 20th of March. Now, we're only in March... But Barcelona have already secured the La Liga title, and they did so in style, beating rivals Real Madrid 5-0 to finish 22 points clear of Real Sociedad. Barcelona have won 24 out of 24 this season, scoring 136 goals and only conceding six. They've won the league with six games to go. That's one more than the previous season as well. Now despite the dominance this could be a bad thing for Spanish domestic football could it prove a turn off are the other teams in the league bad or are barca genuinely just this good abby what do you think
1: um i think it's the latter i think barcelona are just just that good because if you if you look across the table if you took barcelona out of it it's actually a fairly fairly competitive season it's been and there's teams up and around there who are on similar points and there's a few games in hand here and there I think uh, Tenerife up there as well um, as you say so your dad and then there's yeah a few others in there so yeah if you if you if you got rid of Barcelona out of it it just looks like a fairly normal season for a, a league really so I think it's possibly they're a team to push other teams on to strive to improve their game but equally I, I don't think it's about a poor reflection on, on La Liga at all um, and <clears throat> yeah as I said it just I think it just drives teams to be more competitive and um, it also means that it's maybe theirs for the, for, theirs for the losing like it's the only way is up for the rest of the teams whereas obviously it's the only way is down for Barcelona so um, yeah I think it's um, one to keep an eye on, absolutely. And yeah, as I said, I think it's possibly theirs for the losing. But yeah, again, they're, they're just just—they're just so good, aren't they? <laughs> they're just phenomenal. Mm, they,
0: and... they are really wonderful. It feels like it's kind of come... I know it hasn't come out of nowhere, but I feel like it has kind of come out of nowhere that we've all kind of realised how brilliant they are. Adam, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, I think it's a bit of both. There's dominance. And then to be honest, there is it just being a bit of a joke. That yes, it's good that Barca is so good, and to be fair, they have built a team with there are a lot of players there who have been there for a very long time and have been there throughout and have been there as Barca have grown. But other teams in the league aren't at that same level. Um, Real, you know, bought out another team and, and invested a bit, they're still nowhere near. Uh, Atleti have been doing well for years, still aren't anywhere near, and then you have other teams in La Liga who really aren't treating the women's teams well enough. You have Real Valicano, where there were things like with the changing rooms, no club doctor. Uh, there was something about while well, their coaches and, and remarks he'd made. And I think the league as a whole just needs to improve because you can have one team who's dominant. We had that season, two seasons ago, or maybe one season ago, where Chelsea were really dominant in, in the WSL and were, were winning most games and that sort of thing, but it was still relatively close. If you're only conceding six goals and scoring 136, that just shows that there's such a massive golfing class that really, really needs to be addressed.
0: And on that note, I think we're going to end here today. Don't forget to subscribe via all good podcasting platforms and also leave us a review, preferably a five-star one. Follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. Have a great week. Thank you very much for coming on, guys. And we'll see you all soon.